Hello, everyone. Before we get to this week's episode, I want to tell you a little bit about our sponsor for this month, the Honors College at Belmont Abbey. The Honors College brings the good, the true, and the beautiful to the next generation of leaders. With this great books-based program, the Honors College enlightens and challenges young minds, while also preparing them for a fruitful life. Students can major in the great books, or choose a professional major founded on those classic texts. With SCOLA, its summer high school program in July, high school students get a taste of the experience, combined with the great outdoors, fun, and friendship. Discover the world through a critical eye on this all-encompassing journey. The Honors College at Belmont Abbey, a life well-lived awaits. Visit them at www.bac.edu backslash honors. And now on to this week's episode. Welcome to this week's episode of Quiddity on the Circe Podcast Network, where we engage in the classical spirit of inquiry. I'm your guide, Brandon LeBlanc. And joining me again for an episode of our Poets Corner is Christine Perrin. As most of you probably know by now, Christine's a poet and author and professor and just educator in many capacities over well over 20 years now and, and a dear, dear friend of us and of Circe. So we're so glad to have her back on the podcast. Thanks for being here, Christine. Oh, I'm so glad to be here. This is one of my favorite things, talking with you about poetry. Excellent. Excellent. And in, in, in practicing for this week's episode, my wife told me that this is, Hopkins is also maybe her favorite poet. So uh, yes. that was fun. Was that news to you that I, it was a favorite? I, I think so. Favorite? Yeah. I mean, I knew, I knew she had a growing appreciation for him. I knew she liked him, but I think she, that might have not have been her answer five years ago. So that was a little bit of a surprise. So hmm. That's um, great. So that, as you just mentioned, we're going to be looking at another Hopkins poem. I think we discussed at the end of last time's episode that um, we might look at a couple of more of his and then maybe talk a little bit about Inscape in a few episodes um, before we kind of moved off from Hopkins to something else. So for those of you at home, we're going to be reading Peace this time. It's probably helpful to have it in front of you if you can. So you should be able to find that. But it's Peace by Gerard Manley Hopkins. Um, and as we did last time, uh, we'll take a turn reading it, and then we'll go through the exercises Christine was teaching us about drawing out some lines before we start discussing. And I'll go first this time. Okay. When will you ever, peace, wild wood dove, shy wings shut, your round me roaming end, and under be my boughs? When, when, peace, will you, peace? I'll not play hypocrite to my own heart. I yield you do come sometimes. But that piecemeal peace is poor peace. What pure peace allows alarms of wars, the daunting wars, the death of it? Oh, surely, reaving peace, my Lord should leave in lieu some good. And so he does leave patience exquisite that plumes to peace thereafter. And when peace here does house, he comes with work to do. He does not come to coo. He comes to brood and sit. Mm. I love the way you read that last line. Thank you. Peace. When will you ever peace, wild wood dove, shy wings shut, your round me, roaming end, and under be my boughs. When, when, peace, will you peace? I'll not play hypocrite to my own heart. 
I yield, you do come sometimes, but that piecemeal peace is poor peace. What pure peace allows alarms of wars, the daunting wars, the death of it? Oh, surely, reaving peace, my Lord should leave in lieu some good. And so he does, leave patience exquisite, that plumes to peace thereafter. And when peace here does house, he comes with work to do. He does not come to coo, he comes to brood and sit. Ah, so we have an apostrophe here, an address of peace as a as a wild wood dove. Yes, that's I think that's why it's helpful to have this one in front of you because most of the times you see that word peace, it's peace incarnate, right? So it helps to see where Mm -hmm. that is. Mm -hmm. And definitely that's invoked right that Mm -hmm. the holy spirit as a dove Mm -hmm. um is is being invoked at some level um at least uh you know kind of under under the surface a bit i mean we have peace capitalized in the first stanza three times um and then it goes to lowercase um Mm -hmm. and then back to capitalization so so definitely we're aware of the Holy Spirit and aware of that source of, uh, you know, we, we call the Holy Spirit, the comforter. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that, that song in the morning that we sing. Um, oh, heavenly, oh, heavenly King, the comforter, the spirit of truth, who art everywhere and fillest all things. Treasury of blessing and giver of life, come and abide in us and cleanse us from every impurity and save our souls, oh good one. So I hear that, you know, mm-hmm. comforter being called out, but I love the wild wood dove. And I, I, you know, I think of so many cupolas in Italy that have, you know, way up at the top kind of housing the church, a, a dove um that that that's like a physical visual image that i have when i immediately when i hear this address yeah i i think yeah that it's kind of this um tension in the in the how we understand the holy spirit right between this this bringer of peace and which seems like tranquility and, and stillness and then the other kind of image of the holy spirit is is the wind blows where it listeth and and pillars of fire and uh i know in celtic kind of celtic christianity the the image the wild goose is 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 kind of a symbol of 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 the holy spirit like it just kind of there's no telling where it's going to go kind of thing um Mm -hmm. and this tension i love that yeah, because the the piece is elusive in this poem. It's mm-hmm. you feel that goose chase. Yeah, uh, albeit graceful. <laughs> <laughs> um, in, in the beginning, I really loved. Um, as I was thinking about this poem this week, I was getting this image of you know shy wings shut. Your round me roaming end. So something like something from above you know almost thinking about the um 
the end of God's grandeur when it it's it talks about the the bright wings mm-hmm, and, and mm-hmm. warm breast, you know, and you feel that desire to be kind of enfolded um, within the wings. And then, but I love then he follows it up and under be my bows. Yeah. It's such a wonderful totalizing image of some sort of like sheltering and, um, you know, holding of of the chicks or the world egg um and then being at the same time a bow that upholds you and and is a place for you to stand and stay and perch um and yet it's also referring um to uh to the the to peace being the bow itself um so i i just i like that above huh. and under imagery Okay, that's helpful because I think in my mind I was that whole first question is those those first two lines is one question um, that he was asking peace to to be under his bow, like to to be to to stop flitting around and be underneath within his the his bows. Um, well, I think you're right. I think it is. Um, one question and really it's it's about that staying and stopping of moving and being a place to perch but just the the way that it as i was meditating on it i was thinking of um i think i was just conflating it with god's grandeur and thinking mm-hmm. about the wings shutting of the wings mm. and um stopping of the roaming and and so I had that feeling of it coming down from above as well as from underneath. But I think you're actually that ac- if we're being accurate, it really is concluding with the sense of w- when will you come under me and stay under me, be with me. And it is a, an image, an underneath image. But he uses languages and imagery that has so many layers to it. So, I mean, yes. so often. Um, and 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 even the structure of that first sentence, yes. he's talking to this thing that is flitting around and won't stop moving. But yes. the way the sense is written, you have it's not um the word order is is odd. It slows you down. Like it, it, you know, if you were just talking to someone, you would say, When are you gonna stop roaming around me? Or you know, mm-hmm. when will you end your roaming around me and and come under my bowels or you know, not and under be my bowels and it'd be, be under my bowels. Right. If you were saying it just kind of colloquially, but he, mm-hmm. um, he's, he's, he's requesting the slowing down of peace at the same time. He's forcing you to slow down and in the way you read the sentence structure, um, which that, that juxtaposition I think is just brilliant just to start, just to kind of set the tone at the very beginning of the poem. I love that. And I also have the feeling that all those interruptions, you know, um, when will you ever peace wild wood dove shy wings, you know, uh, and then like you say, this inversion at the end under be my bow. Um, it, it feels like the elusiveness of the bird, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, you, you feel those as interruptions like they're slowing you down and they're also these interruptions of the bird not being a stable thing not being stationary you know mm-hmm. I, I, when you read I, I caught uh that next line the 
it addresses peace twice in the same sentence. Win, win, peace, will you peace? But you read that second piece almost like uh, the listener wasn't paying attention to you. Peace. <laughs> like, And I just thought that was great. I loved it so much. It was like, you're st- you're trying to ask the question again and the, the piece isn't even, you feel like the piece isn't even listening to what you're saying. Like you're talking to a teenager oh. or something. <laughs> oh, I love that. And I love the way you read it that way. I, I think the second word, the second piece is a verb. When will you peace? When peace will you peace? Like, as if peace were a verb. When will you stop? When will okay. you be peaceful? Right. But of course, he doesn't do that for us. He just um, repeats it and trusts that whatever he's elided will fill in, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I counted the number of times. I think there's, if we count the title, there's 10 mentions of the word peace and i think that's to the point that we're kind of drawing out together in this stanza which is just the the elusiveness the jumpiness the the um the the out of graspness of this bird of this piece um is emphasized by this striving almost to kind of make it stationary by saying it you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um kind of catching it by saying its name. And uh, one of the things I've been doing over the last month is watching birds. Um, I, I have like some, a lot of feeders in the backyard and, you know, even sometimes just watching them, I like their movements, but there's something about it that gives me that feeling of restlessness. Mm-hmm. You know, I just want to stay and stop moving and stop mm-hmm. jumping and sitting and, you know, I get a little exhausted and I feel that kind of exhaustion and movement um, in these lines and in the repetition of the word. Yeah. You want to get a good look at the bird and it's like a, nothing will bring that home more than a bunch of hummingbirds, right? Coming to a feeder and it's just like, can't even see their wings. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, And then I like the fact that he says, all right, all right, I'll not play hypocrite to my own heart. I yield, <laughs> you do come sometimes. Um, it, I don't know if it's a good moment to talk about the form of this poem. I, I found it odd. Um, I looked it up to see how different people had printed it. Because in my mm-hmm. book, it looks like this. Yeah, I think we're um, in the same, every man's Oh, pocket. good. Yeah. Yes. Such a great book. But it's not printed the same way everywhere. So I looked it up. It's a curtail sonnet, a a curtailed sonnet, which is something that um, Hopkins made up. (laughs) Um, It's got um, 10 lines instead of 14. Um, And so it's like a three quarters of a sonnet. And um, it has 12 Hmm. syllables six stresses per line. So uh, those lines that go on to the next line are um, meant to be a single line. Yes. So I think we've got, you know, a three line stanza, a three line stanza, and then a six line stanza, right? Or it might one, two, three, four, four, (laughs) 4.5. Yeah. No, I'm serious. Like they count that as a last 
half line. That and she comes to brood and sit. Yeah, that's huh. a half line. It is set off to, differently than everything else in this. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a rest almost that we get hmm. in front of it. A little pause. Um, but to that end, too, I was, you know, because you have to understand what the lines are doing to know what the rhyme scheme is. So I think here we have shut and hypocrite rhyming. And then we have the middle line bows rhyming with the next middle line allows. Mm -hmm. And then in the, the final stanza, house. So okay. bows, allows, and house are all rhyming. And um, that, I think, contributes to what we're talking about, too. You know, the fact that you don't get that completion. It, it The bird is hopping from stanza to stanza, you know? It's mm -hmm. drawing you on in this elusive chase, goose chase. Huh. And, and what, yeah, sorry, go ahead, your turn. Well, I mean, that half line, it, it does rhyme with, you know, exquisite prudence. Yes, it does. Um, yes. But it's, you're right, if with that pause, it almost, it, it, it almost functions like you have, um, like a coda in music, right? Where it's formally distinct, right, from the rest of the music, but it's the concluding piece. Um, Yes, and what's interesting is we so we have shut, hypocrite, but it exquisite sit. Mm -hmm. So it's being laced throughout the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And then we have loo and coo. What a rhyme is that? <laughs> <laughs> and then um and then of course um hows goes back to allows and bows. So there's a really narrow sound pattern going on even though it's kind of slant so you don't hear yeah. it clanging yeah it's really just the three the three the three in sounds right yeah yes and how about this next line so he does yield that um the peace comes sometimes. And then um, it's so wonderful because he gives us a, a taste of that peace coming, right? With all these, uh, that peace male peace is poor peace. What pure peace, you know? So we the, get yeah. one, two, three, four. Peace meal is a kind of, you know, faux reference. Yeah, yeah. Right? You get the yeah the four plus the the piecemeal, and then you have and that's also alliterative, right? And then just the brilliance of poor peace versus pure peace, the yes, yes. The, the sonic of that it, sonics of that is just I mean, just such a slight difference in in, what, in the way you're pronouncing those two words, poor and pure, and all the difference in the world, right? In in meaning. All the difference in the world. That is such a good point. And I also think it's a kind of, um, I mean, it's almost a mocking, right? Because this there's this longing for rest, this longing for a bow to rest on. Um, 
And and I just thought of something. Isn't that funny that he's asking peace to be the bow? Peace the bird to be the bow? <laughs> you know, almost as if he's the bird and he wants to rest on the bow of peace. But really, peace has actually already been called a wood dove, you know? Right. And, and so... Anyway, he gives us this sort of mocking line, which gives us that sense of something being close, something you can taste, something that you're dearly longing for, but that is absolutely, you know, away from you, not not possible, not close, not near, but it's mocking because it's a it's a faux um, version of the thing that you desire. And I think that the lowercase um, letters and all those peace references in one line is a form of um, of that presence of the thing with a lack of satiation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, the shadow of the real thing. Exactly. Much better said. Yes, the shadow. And I really like the fact that he moves on to this question of wars um, because you know, when the when the poem opens, it's very personal. It's very mm-hmm. intimate, and we're thinking about our own capacity or lack thereof to to house peace. You know, to be peaceful. But then he immediately in this second stanza elongates our sense of what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. It's not just personal. This is a verifiable fact of the world. There are wars right. going on. Right. Right. There's not, there's not lasting peace anywhere. Right. Um, yes. It's, it's really interesting. We're reading the constellation of philosophy over on the overdue classics podcast. And a similar thing happens, right. Where it's all very personal. We just complaint and lament to lady philosophy, but then eventually it's just, it, it just like evil men get good things and good men get evil things all over the world, all throughout history. And it, it becomes this very global argument um out of the personal and it's it's similar right he's experiencing it personally here mm-hmm. but then his complaint expands to and look all around like there's n- this is not there's no real peace happened yes. present that's so well described um you know because i think this is often how our minds work we experience, we taste the fruit or bitter fruit of something. Mm -hmm. And then that's our access point. You know, the particular and the universal, that's our access point to the larger. Um, And I did, I guess I did look up where, when this was written, it was 1879. Okay. And, um, and Britain was at war. Uh, with multiple in multiple places so you know Hopkins is a very sensitive soul um, many of us are and he he feels you know that that lack of peace in the world um, I think you know monastics we often think about them as people that pray for the world you know they don't have families and they they apply some of that emotional energy to the larger world Mm -hmm. um and i doubt that of him that he too was not only experiencing industrialization in england and all of his lonely posts and 
all the things that he saw every day that marred and bleared the beauty of the world. But then even beyond that was conscious of various forms of unrest. Yeah. And I think it's, 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 you said it's written 1879. Mm-hmm. And here we are 150 years later. And we, we, we can't escape what's going like it's so much in our face all the time what's going on in the world right we try and shut yeah. it off at times um but so certainly maybe have an understanding of that kind of just being overwhelmed with the the, the peacelessness of the world um mm-hmm. and then feeling like it the- very acutely ourselves mm-hmm. yeah i like your word peacelessness <laughs> um <laughs> Because I think it it emphasizes something that he's been trying to emphasize in this line. Um, what do you make of the way that he says that line number six? Um, what pure peace allows? And then this line, alarms of wars, the daunting mm. wars, the death of it. Um, it seems to me that he's calling it ultimate that you know war being the ultimate death of peace Mm. yeah and and it's and it's um that alarms of wars right is this uh it's 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 what calls it to you to your presence your presence of mind even if you're not on the front line right the 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 crier in the street the bell ringing whatever whatever it is in your cultural moment how those things are brought to your consciousness but but mm. you know like you're saying he's they were they were probably fighting on multiple fronts as the british empire was want to do <laughs> and so just constant news right of of wars um mm. and then and then daunting I, I think i feel like that that's that sense that it's unending like Either the, either a particular war is unending and is dragging on forever, or one rolls into the next. And yes, and and those that that is evidence of the death of peace, right? If if, if there's constant war, then the, then peace can't be can't exist. And that seems to be the complaint anyway, or the or the or the claim he's he's placing in front of peace. Yes, I I also love the kind of uh, craftiness of talking about the death of peace when we're talking about war, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, he finds a way to bring that word death into the line um, that is what's all always on our minds when we're thinking about war. Hmm. Um, But now we're thinking about the death of people in wars and the death of peace. And, And it's just so interesting that he doesn't name it again. He doesn't say the death of peace, you know, he's just named it, I don't know, eight times or, you know, so yeah, many yeah. times. By now we, we know what it is, you know? Yeah. And I, I wonder if, if using it in that line that way, like you said, it reminds us of the death of the deaths in war. Mm-hmm. Um, it's another, it's, it's, it's a way he's using one even part of a line to, to highlight again, the, the, the personal and the universal right it's a, it's the death of peace that's a huge that's big right but then individuals are dying 
are, 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 yes. are dying in the war. And so it's another kind of double-edged sword of, of the personal and the, and the universal experience of this lack of peace. Yes. And we, we go from the alarms to the death of it, mm. um, which I think, you know, you mentioned it in your comments, but if in 1879, there were alarms of wars <laughs> and people hearing about them from far away in 2023, we're, we're hearing about these things all the time. And, you know, it's remarkable how many, um, things are reported that are just, I don't know, a kind of fondling of unrest, you know, just constantly, mm-hmm. you know, they've done all these studies on how little we can take this in yeah, and how blunts yeah. are, you know, it either destroys us, especially adolescents who are sensitive and don't have maybe the shutting off mechanisms. Um, but it, um, but it also blunts our sympathies because yeah. we're here, you know, that, that fatigue of constant alarms of wars. I was, um, who did I, somebody, somebody famous talking about it. Oh, I might've been, <laughs> this, is a, this is a funny person to bring in, but it was, I think it was Dave Chappelle and he might, he and I must be similar in age because he was talking about the experience of being in school and watching the challenger. Um, mm. and I, ha- I, rem- I remember that distinctly as a child because there, there was a school teacher on that, on that shuttle. So like all the schools around the country were watching this shuttle take off and then it explodes. And it was like, you know, everybody remembers where they were, if they were that, you know, and, and, um, he says, you know, this school was basically, well, y'all can go home now. Like, this is like, we're not having the rest of the day. And he said, but this, the, the generation after us, like they wouldn't even be a blip that, that a spatial exploded because it's just this constant deluge of, tragedy in front of them that we didn't have yes. um you know that's, that's a good before the 24-hour news cycle really took off and so mm-hmm. um it was one i could kind of identify with a little bit more but it's the same thing right there's this then you would have sure you would have heard someone shouting that we're at war you know whatever um and it would have been it would have been emotionally kind of taxing but we have a generation who's never not been at war in this country <laughs> in many ways so and at the same time it's more and more distant and so the explosion of a challenger the the a kind of drone hit almost you right. know it's strange that it's the tide is rising in terms of all of the peacelessness and yet mm-hmm. also falling in terms of our capacity to to register or even know what is real and what is mm-hmm. false but of course hopkins that was not happening um no. yet for him. um and and i i'm interested in the way that things transition between stanzas you know the first transition from stanza 1 to 2 um it's um it just runs on mm-hmm, you know it's mm-hmm. just part of the next um I mean, enjammed is the uh, the technical word, but it just goes right into the next stanza. Here, he he ends on a question, mm-hmm. this word death, and then his recovery from there. Um, I think is is interesting, and you know, we we think a lot about how, um, as you know, as we, we read the Psalms, we think about uh, what is it that this kind of meditation 
gives to us and how do the Psalms teach us to meditate, you know, and Hopkins, of course, was steeped in the Psalms. So what do you make of this last transition? Well, it's interesting because last time we read a poem that was so chock full of exclamation points, I had a hard time reading it aloud, <laughs> emphasizing it, because yeah. it was a, it was a, it was an expression of exuberance, you know, almost looking at the stars and that, that kind of feeling, this joyfulness. And this one is is so much questions um, to peace. Uh, and then it comes back with this this line that has an explanation point, but it's almost um, it's not joyous. It's 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 exasperated. It's, um, yes. Give me something <laughs> like you know. It's this surely. And, um, and then that word he used reaving, you talked to, uh, you know, last time about how he likes to use some more archaic language. And so I, you know, I thought I was pretty sure what that kind of what that meant. So I looked it up and it was, it was like, it's like this, it's almost like this vision of piracy, this kind of marauding this, um, yes. such a strange word to awesome. use with peace. It is. And so it's just so striking. He's it's, he comes back with this kind of he's just exasperated it feels like almost and he's just like surely you fine you're going all you're not going to sit still you're whatever out there reaving ravaging whatever you're doing but surely my lord should have left something in your in your stead something in lieu of you that's good yes. and it's just kind of this yes. and then he has and so he does and so he has yeah. right and so he he yells the question and then has the mode of reflection and realizes what's been left mm -hmm. as we wait for peace. That's oh, that's a beautiful description, Brandon, that he yells the question. This exclamation mark is one of exasperation and not exaltation in any way. Even the, oh, surely, um, is a kind of throwing up of the hands. Mm. Um, and I like your, um, it's almost a slur, right, to call peace right reading uh, it's like quality. yeah that that is a sort of like a the kind of people that take take the law into their own hands you know they mm -hmm. they go rob to make the world more even um just um and and it's also very interesting to have peace capitalized again mm -hmm. and then my lord right after peace Right. suggesting um again a kind of antinomy right a kind of um because peace has just been called a robber but then right the next phrase um my lord should leave um and and so that's a really puzzling movement um i don't know what to make of that I don't know what to make of the fact that the distinction that's being made between peace, the comforter, the dove, the robber, and my Lord. Hmm. Ultimately, it's an act of, it's, it's, a, it's a, an, a, a, an outcry that brings assurance, right? That restores a kind of attachment, confidence. Mm. But it comes at that pitched moment of total, um, almost despair, near despair. 
Yeah. And, 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 you know, we've been talking about peace capitalized here as being, you know, primarily attached with the Holy Spirit, idea of the Holy Spirit in this poem and then just in, in general. Um, whereas the title Lord is usually used in conjunction with the Son in theology or uh, the Psalms or wherever. Um, and so, I don't know. I'm as you're asking that question, I'm wondering, like, surely my Lord should leave something in lieu. Um, and is he reflecting on the promise that, that, that Christ gives, you know, I, I will send another, right. And, and Hopkins wants to experience that as peace. He wants to experience the Holy Spirit as, as a peace that doesn't stop. Um, mm. And, and then he has to answer, well, he's he's leaving me patience for now uh you know for mm-hmm. that that he's having to acknowledge that his that his experience of the holy spirit that's been left or sent is is different than what he wants the experience to be and that he has to mm-hmm. he has to i don't know trust in that abide in that and it, it'll plume to peace thereafter um i don't know that's a, that's I, that question opens up a lot of questions in my mind about what he might be thinking about there but yeah i love your you're piecing it all together um like a quilt yeah. um, i you know i mean i i guess i'm thinking a lot about uh psalm 87 88 um you know, this is the lowest point of the psalmist of mm-hmm. of saying, like, just sort of, I wish I could die. Um, mm-hmm. But the address is still to God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, similarly, Christ's uh, Gethsemane address, you know, um, uh, of, of, like, take this cup away. But the address is still to the one the lover of your soul. Mm-hmm. And I think that that combination we're experiencing right here, that psalmic gesture of like rising to the pitch of sorrow, of loss, of um, grief, um, of alarm, unrest, anxiety, and then at the same time, finding God there. Mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. as like Psalm 139 talks so much about like wherever you go, wherever I go, there I am. You know, I am in the depths. I'm uh this we you you can't um you can't miss me, even though you don't have a bow to stand on that doesn't change in terms of your experience mm-hmm. of of rest, of amity you know, of, um, accord or concord. Um, and so patience, um, what a remarkable, uh, answer, right? And so he does leave patience exquisite and then this beautiful bird imagery, right? That Mm. plumes to peace thereafter, um, you know, plume our feathers, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Used as a verb. I didn't look this up, but is it is he is it a did you look that one up? I did. It's it's kind of like um it's it's exactly like it's the spreading out, right? So it's uh I mean my mind went to 
something more extravagant than the than the the wood dove, right? Like the peacock or the mm. or or one of those tropical birds that <laughs> that has the kind of big displays of plumage when they're when they're mating or whatever it might be, fighting. Um, and <laughs> uh, yeah, as a verb, it, yeah. yeah, that piece plumes to. I mean, that patience plumes to pieces. Quite the imagery. And of course, um, you know, patience, um, it has in its root, um, in its Latin root, you know, that meaning of the bearing things, Mm. you know, suffering, um, undergoing, um, it's, it's very much a kind of laboring to endure, um, to endure what is. Mm-hmm. And and of course, it's just this really beautiful arrival because he says, well, what can we have? If we cannot have this, what can we have? Well, we, we can have the labor. And that seems like a, you know, the labor to suffer, the labor to endure, the labor to undergo what is given us, you know, to carry our cross, essentially. Mm-hmm. But And so, like, all this poem, all this work. It's like a moment of arrival, just like reaving peace, my Lord. You know, just that uh, that antinomy of the thing you lack and the thing you have coming so close to each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, because that's exactly what he's been doing in this poem. He's been bearing it. And one of the ways he bears it is to name it, you know, mm-hmm. and to kind of, we feel him muscling his way through like um i'm not gonna let you go until you bless me what are you blessing me with? all right, right you're blessing me with patience <laughs> that's right uh yeah this this in particular i mean this poem in particular by hopkins but i'm sure in general he kind of has a lot of this uh, to his writing but this feels very much like the psalmist like the psalms right almost like almost like a, a, a i'm gonna write psalms that were written in hebrew in 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 an english meter you know i'm I'm gonna put i'm gonna put the psalmist to 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 english uh prosody and uh, i mean not not that he was consciously doing that so that's what that's what he accomplishes and yeah they're both both things are so much a part of him right english prosody and then the psalms um are so much a part of who he is and and as you were talking just now i'm thinking well well when I look at people who seem to be at peace, there are people who have decided to just be patient and to endure the suffering, like who've learned to just endure the suffering and be patient. Mm-hmm. And that's where they end up finding peace, which seems counterintuitive in the way he's crying out for it, right? That he wants to be just granted externally. Um, that, But that's, like you said, those two things come end up coming so close together, right? The patience for what you're longing for and the thing itself um, are not as and far it apart. Does seem like, oh, yeah. Sorry to interrupt. No, no, no. No, go ahead. Yeah, I guess it seems so... Um, again, it's wonderful that it's a bird <laughs> that we're... You know, because what do birds do? They they perch, they, they flutter, they fly, they... Um, you know, somehow they they carry their weight in the air. 
Um, and what, what seems necessary to poise here is that we are supposed to long for peace, mm. you know, we're supposed to long for it. We're supposed to taste it when it comes. We're supposed to trust that it exists. We're supposed to believe that that's a state that we're headed towards. Um, but at the same time, we have to endure. And I think sometimes it's hard to do both of those things. You know, you see the civilizations and the people groups and in yourself, the moment that you submit to a lack of peace um, without any hope for tasting it, without any longing towards it, and you think all you can do in life is endure, that's a moment that's not good for the soul. You know, mm-hmm. it's we we have to maintain the not yet part, the now and the not yet part. And so what I love about this poem is that we believe that Hopkins is showing us how you do that. You long for peace. You taste it. You almost curse it when it's not there. But at the same time, you that struggle, that wrestling is also a kind of bearing yeah. that peace has to have to stay alive. And so there's a kind of equipoise, you know, that you and I are feeling in the sentences. Um, and, and we'll notice that there's a lot of sejuras here, right? Like a lot of punctuation that comes in the middle of lines. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't feel accidental to me and and also there are a lot of lines that are drawn out with really interesting punctuation again this kind of equipoise almost like a bird perching on a limb mm-hmm. um if you look at the the transition from stanza 1 to 2 um all not play hypocrite to my own heart colon i yield you do come sometime semicolon but that piecemeal piece is poor piece period you know i mean mm-hmm. there's there are all these parts that are being balanced against each other he's able to do so much in the the words and then in the structure that that mirror each other which we talked about last time and that certainly feel i feel that here too right the the sentences make you <laughs> make you be patient <laughs> They do. And I had a really interesting experience. I read Hopkins, like a huge chunk of this book out loud with um, some uh, seminary students. And we did this. um, Oh, you know, we forgot to do our method, Brendan. We forgot to do our going back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But anyway, we did that. And we did it for hours. Mm. And some at the end of it said, I just don't feel like I can handle Hopkins. I feel so immersed in the kinds of experiences that he's describing mm. that I'm overwhelmed. I'm overstimulated. I'm over, um, ad- I'm dragged around. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I got what he said. Like, I don't think Hopkins is meant to be read in large chunks. It really no. made me reevaluate that oh. decision as a teacher. Interesting. Yeah, it's not uh it's um it's rich food <laughs> that uh that you can't just go and go and go on. Hmm. 
Well, good thing we're only doing one a month in. That's so. <laughs> exactly. Yes. I am really interested in this last, um, in the way he brings us home after this peak that, that we come to. Uh, and when peace here does house, and I, I, I love that word here. Um, because again, I think he's referring to the now and not yet. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the fact that what we get now is, is patience as we wait for peace. Sometimes we get peace here, but it's, it's rare. It's a Mm -hmm. visitation. Mm -hmm. Um, and when peace here does house, he comes again, capital H, he comes with work to do. Although every beginning line is capitalized, so that might not be a good observation. He comes with work to do. He does not come to coo. He comes to brood and sit. Mm. And I I think we should try to tease out the hows, um, the work, the coo and the brood and the sit. Such a curious finish. Yeah, it... um... You know, he starts off wondering when it's going to come rest on the bowels, right? His bowels. But house almost feels more like a a coop of some kind for the, you know, something where the bird's more internal than a bow, uh, which is still pretty open air. Yeah. Um, and then the fact that he's not just coming to, like, that there's work. He comes to do work in you. Like, um, at least in the, in the, like you said, there's the now and the not yet and that here, which I, I, I agree. In the now, when when you get those times of peace, Hopkins seems to be suggesting that it's not just so you can stop, you know, have a little respite and not and stop worrying for a little while. That mm-hmm. there's there's work being done in those times of peace too. That there's 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 greater purpose to it than just than just alleviating the all this tension and frustration that you're feeling most of the time. Right. It, it's not just about your comfort. Mm-hmm. It's not just about your dwelling, um, which really surprises me. Um, and I, I kind of, but then the other thing that surprises me is the brooding and the sitting, because then mm-hmm. the brooding and the sitting seems like a form of dwelling. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you hear that word brood and you're thinking of a wild wood dove, you know exactly what that sounds like. You know, there are little um, sounds that they make. Um, what? What do you think the brooding and the sitting is? And how is that in contrast to cooing? Yeah, I think you can't, it has to be thought of right in contrast to the coo because he says, does not come to that, he comes to this. Um, mm-hmm. The cooing to me seems, I guess when I think of the cooing, especially for like a dove, it's when they're just sitting and resting and just kind of making the pleasant sound, right? That you want to hear when you're sipping your coffee in the morning <laughs> if they're outside your window. Um I think, and maybe thinking about this from, again, from going back to God's grandeur, the image he gets of a, of the brooding hen almost, it mm-hmm. that that piece, that piece is doing work, right? That piece is sitting, but it's sitting on eggs. It's, it's, it's sheltering chicks. It's so, so I'm, I'm left to wonder 
uh, if peace does that with us, is it is it covering us for a time of something needing to, to transform for us, right? From mm-hmm. egg to chick or chick to being able to fly or, um, mm. or if we, birth. yeah, yeah, birth. Or then conversely, if we are given that time to brood and sit, if we're given the peace to time and uh, the time to brood and sit, it's that we can do that for something or someone else, right? We can give that mm. space for someone else and be that, um, if things calm down for me <laughs> for a period of time compared to mm-hmm. my normal life, is that really just for me is it, or that so that I can, so that I can lighten someone else's burden so that I can be, you know, be some a blessing to someone else. I don't mm. know. Be a shelter, which takes me back to that word house. Mm-hmm. Um, and when peace here does house, that's a really interesting word house because it sounds like it could mean when peace goes into a house, like a bird house or whatever, or when peace becomes a house. Right. Yeah. Right. And does that housing motion, which I think your um, meditation is is so interesting because, uh, of course, sitting on a, a nest of eggs is a housing, like you are housing those eggs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, you know, also it's a kind of, being housed mm-hmm. at the same time. And so I really love the way you're meditating on that period, either of given rest or giving rest. Like there's a kind of dynamic between the receiving and giving rest. Right. Um, that still is work. And that gives birth to birds and you know, um, life and salvation, um, that our life does seem to kind of shuttle between bearing things and giving birth to things, and they're not separated from each other. Um, and I feel Hopkins showing us that, but he's showing us in a way that we can receive. Mm-hmm. Because if he, if it was too easy, we wouldn't believe him. Yeah, he gives us that after eight lines of of questioning and crying out in anger and frustration, right? The, um, which is our lived experience, right? Of, and so struggle and tangle and tension, and he's so good at communicating what it feels like to be in that state what it feels like to to lack peace um but i feel i think he's reassuring us that that state that is a, a lacking state is also a gaining state so just as as you've been talking about at the end here um the receiving and giving of peace are bound up with each other um the lacking of peace and the gaining of patience are also bound up with each other. And so it's like, he's saying, you know, these motions in our lives are, they're dynamic Mm -hmm. and you don't get them without the other thing, Mm -hmm. both the poise to hold on to the hope of peace, as well as the um, laboring with patience and endurance. Mm -hmm. 
And boy, sitting on eggs, I'm not <laughs> sure that's much of a relief. Is no. It? <laughs> no. Uh, yeah. Yeah. In, in certain contexts, that seems pretty rough. If you're watch those videos of the penguins doing it, it's like freezing <laughs> the wind with around them. <laughs> Doesn't seem very pleasant. Um, yeah, I want I want in my in my in my imagination, I wanna I wanna envision Hopkins getting it his piece and so long enough to write the poem and then it's in turn giving us peace by bringing us to that point through all that frustration at the beginning to the moment to reflect um and it does bring us to such um you know like i almost think of an arc and it coming to rest in those that last 1.5 lines um he comes with work to do he does not come to cool he comes to brood and sit you know we have these i ams that are so soothing and then also in addition we get those the all those o's you know who mm -hmm, mm -hmm. do coo brood you know like yeah. there's just so much uh it coos to oh, us and gives us that rotten gives us that rocking motion it does yeah it's such a reward it's like you can wait a little longer <laughs> and struggle a little longer and then you too will come to rock in this cradle of yeah. the world for a moment you know um but the proportions um that also seems to be something that he's addressing you know yeah the proportion of peace to not peace, the proportion of war to not war. Um, it has an inverse relationship to patience. Mm. Yeah. That's good. <sighs> oh, I love this poem so much. <laughs> I, know. I love sigh. it more talking about it with you. It's so, it's such a pleasure to, a uh, volley back and forth. I I love it, Brandon. Thank this is you. Fun. Well, we um we will read another Hopkins called Patience next time. I think is the plan. Um, yes. We'll try to try to remember to do our uh, <laughs> to do our method at the beginning there that we skipped this time. Yes. But uh, this has been a lot of fun. Um, if uh, all of you out there listening, uh, if you don't know, Christine has published. Uh, book of poems called Bright Mirror. She has the art of poetry from Classical Academic Press, and coming soon or is ChristinePerrin.com. You can see all that she's working on and has going on. Um, Thank you. So we are just so thankful that she's agreed to come be part of our, our podcast and do this with us and help us all to to slow down and gain a better appreciation of poetry. So it's a blessing for all of us. And we will look at patience next time. So you can you can you can read ahead for the, the audience out there. So yeah, good idea. Well, thank you so much. It was really a delight to be with you. And boy, I don't know if there are that many things I'd rather be doing than this. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a good way for me to spend uh, time in the afternoon. So yeah. All right. Well, thank you again. Uh, and thank all of you for joining us on Quiddity as we refresh ourselves at Cisterns of Learning Dug Long Ago, Drawing from Springs Too Deep for Taint. You can send your comments and questions to podcast at circeinstitute.org. And you can join the Quiddity conversation on uh, Circe Circle at circe.circle.so. Join us next week for another episode of Quiddity and be sure to check out the other shows on the Circe Podcast Network.